Hello, friends. Welcome to episode two of the Yoga of Yoga podcast. My name is Nathan Gangadine, and I am very much looking forward to this second entry in the welcoming uh, into the Yoga of Yoga that these first two episodes seek to be. And in that, I, you know, uh, as I had said in the last uh, uh, episode, I think it's important to not overload you in one go. <laughs> so, and and you should know about me that it takes a lot of discipline to not go on f- for too long. Um, I'm so excited about what I want to share, and uh, I feel like I could just go and go and go. So, I'm always trying to rein that in. Um, but you know, I listened to the the first episode um, just a moment ago, just to refresh myself and. And sort of see some of the some of the balls that I dropped along the way, to, so to speak, in my enthusiasm and excitement. Um, and when I say that, I mean there's there's some things I feel like are important um, to bring back for for this second episode. As um, my overall intention is to really orient you primarily to what is the yoga of yoga. What do I mean by the yoga of yoga? And as I had said in the last. Uh, take and I and I don't think I can reiterate this too much. It's not a one upping, okay? It's not, you know, uh, oh, of all the yogas, it's the yoga of yoga, right? Okay, I want to be very clear about that. It's a reminder. It's a name that yoga itself needs yoga. Uh, the yoga of yoga means the essence of yoga, um, the soul of yoga, if you will. And without that, um, our yoga is um, limited in a very profound way, uh, and, and therefore we are li- very limited in a very profound way. And I also feel it's important to say that this is not just about yoga. I'm focusing on yoga here because it's a profound passion of mine, and, um, and I think it's really important to upgrade yoga and evolve yoga. But it's really formulaic uh, in a sense of what you learn here can be translated to almost every other, you know, wisdom teaching, you know, whether it's mindfulness or it's, it's, you know, Zen or it's meditation or whatever it is, everything that I'm referring to in in this yogic context um, is directly applicable to, to all these other um, essentially beautiful art forms of liberation. And the word liberation is super duper duper key because just like in the Bob Marley song, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. That is an extremely profound principle to any endeavor. And what's really important to remember is how in order to get the gravitas of that um, is to understand what I what I really go into in my Human Up podcast. Um, take back your mind, because in the spiritual movements, New Age movements, and the yoga movements, um, there is a lot of anti mindism that really does not help us. <laughs> it really actually screws us up to be honest with you. So it's really good. If you want to jump over to that podcast, the Human Up podcast, and listen to that one, it'll really help and supplement uh, what I will be saying here. But emancipating yourself from mental slavery in a way is the whole name of the game, no matter what art form you're in. 
including if you fancy it to being just a body form. You know, there is no mind in this. Wrong. Sorry. Can't get away with that one anymore. There is no place where your mind, your mental operation is absent. And, and to pretend to, to try to just pull a fast one and say like, oh, look, I, I succeeded in being outside of mind shows you, you don't know what mind is um, or how it works. Or, and that's okay. Nobody does. You know, it's, it, I didn't. <laughs> um, I've, I've had the blessing of a profound degree of exposure to ontology and philosophy and science. And that's why um, I wanted to do the second episode too, because I feel like I left that out on the last round, um, you know, with all that I was trying to share about my own personal journey, which this show is most definitely not about me, but I think it is, it is very, very helpful in these opening episodes for you to kind of get where I'm coming from. Okay. Um, and to understand that, you know, I was not always this clear (laughs) about what I'm teaching and, um, and I was very much, uh, an anti-minder, for a period of time, you could say, um, you know, in other words, bought into the new age spiritual yoga ish and, and meditation ish. And I, I say ish on purpose. Uh, it's very important. Uh, the mindsets that I don't want to use the word demonize cause that's a little intense, but, but you know, it, it overly problematizes mind as the the adversary, whereas mind is the whole name of the game. We make the mistake of thinking that the mind is is what we have come to know as the mind, which is uh, heady, dysfunctional, analytical, soulless, heartless, bodiless mind. Yeah, okay, there's a version of mind that is very much like that. But to throw away the mind is to continue the mental slavery, ironically, um, because it's a move based in mental slavery that that uh, gives us the impetus to try and put down mind and be pro-body or pro-feeling or anti-masculine, pro-feminine or whatever, you, whatever form it takes. They're all this part of the same mental slavery. So if we were to really understand that line from, from Bob Marley's song, Redemption Song, You'd realize that's he he's singing yoga, straight yoga right there, um, and and I want to really develop that. And so it's important to understand that when I just shooting back and and sort of recapturing my journey, that despite the fact that I had like you know I can definitely point to a yogic lineage, I was not in touch with that at all, not consciously. Um, Growing up, I was a westernized boy, you know, born and raised outside of Philadelphia. You know, what did I care about? Well, I mean, when I think about my my growing up, uh, you know, I'm in the 80s, uh, 80s and 90s is when I was a, a child. And, you know, so pre-cell phone, mostly pre-internet, um, you know, <laughs> which is like now makes me sound like an old person. Um, but you know, growing up in that time, whereas TV, you know, it's TV, it's MTV, it's, you know, HBO, it's, you know, the few network news channels. And, you know, what I'm trying to paint a picture of is I was very much an Americanized boy growing up, you know, not caring anything about, you know, who cares about yoga. In fact, my dad, you know, uh, he, he had an office in, in our house that, that was underneath the stairwell. 
or the st- stairwell went right over a portion of that of the office, and his bed was right in that section of the office. And us boys, just being boys, would would run down the steps, bum 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 bum, and we'd always see how many steps we could skip at the end and go oh, boom and the, <laughs> at the bottom, and then you know gleefully go on to the next thing or whatever. But my dad would be like napping, taking a midday nap. And we would do that. And, and uh, <laughs> he very sweetly, as he would try to teach us, he, would, he, he told us to go lay down in the bed. And then he demonstrated for us and ran down the steps to try. And we knew what he was up to. He was trying to, like, teach us that we were walking very, uh, you know, with very heavy feet. And, you know, it's, it's not very caring or conscientious, right? And we knew what he was up to. And he was trying to make a point. So when he demonstrated and they came back into the office we pretended we were just passed out like you know completely snoozing um funny memory but he would say you guys walk like a yogi he would say and we'd be like oh dad come on we don't want to be yogis oh just don't say that word you know that's much more the, the the kind of orientation I was in as a child growing up. Like, I could care less. Um, and, and it's not entirely fair to say that because, you know, we had that, like I said, we had the blessing of my dad being a philosopher, not just in one specific uh, genre, if you will, but East and West philosophy. And he was already well into his career um, of teaching and developing what is now developed into a, a extremely profound um uh, you know, it's kind of like I say, yoga of yoga. I think of it as philosophy of philosophy. You know, first philosophy is actual uh, an actual term, a philosophy of what is first. What all all um, the philosophy of source that sources all philosophies, all possible mindsets, all ideologies. Okay, so I was growing up, it's kind of steeped in that influence, while simultaneously being like, I could care less, right? And we had our our Sunday family meetings where we would, you know, over the years, we we progressed through a number of different sacred texts, the Bible, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, the the Dhammapada, you know, these, uh, the Dare Ching. So we grew up getting steeped in that. But again, it was like, uh uh-oh, Sunday family meeting, ah, you know. That's how we were when we were kids, you know. And we didn't care. We wanted to play video games. We wanted to go play with our neighbors. We wanted to ride our bikes. We wanted to, you know, whatever uh, we were into as kids. So what I'm trying to, the reason I'm saying that is because it's not like I, it's not like you could have predicted that I'd be doing this now all these years later. Just a, you know, I don't want to say I was just plainly materialistic, but I'm very, very much Americanized young boy just growing up caring about that kind of stuff. And it was in the the region of like ages 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there where I started to go, whoa. I started to feel um, more enticed to step back from the automatic mindsets of just the kids around me or culture in general and start to, I started to find um, a pull to spirituality, you could say, and started to have some really profound insights. And when I was 16, 17, and I've started to, you know, want to get buffed and lift and all that stuff so I could be attractive to the ladies and all whatever was going on in my mind, um, I was working out one day, full focus on get buffed. <laughs> and, uh, 
And then like a lightning bolt, I heard, this body is not your body. I can't say I heard it like in my head as a voice, as a sentence, but I, that insight just came in like a, you know, thunder in terms of its, if it's, um, energy, the energy of it was so big. It was like a, it was like a breaking. It was a moment of breaking a trance where I was kind of naively going like, this is me. This is my body. My body is me. You know, like we all do like, who am I? Oh, I am this guy, this body that you see here. You know, we all do that. And then, and then of course we, we take ownership of our bodies in an automatic sort of almost naive sort of way. And we, uh, actually end up getting pulled into a lot of issues with that. Like a lot of, um, by, by falsely sort of having this false sense of ownership of your, of your body or like I being identified with and as your body, you do a lot of things that are sort of objectifying of yourself. Right. And even, even though, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to body build or shape yourself or, you know, per se, but if you're treating your body like an object, that you need to shape in order to have a certain amount of value, which of course men and women have to deal with in, you know, certainly in the American culture, but I know it's worldwide, um, probably to varying degrees, but uh, it seems to be very front and center with the whole Hollywood, you know, movies, you know, the, just the, 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 the programming we get of you have to be attractive. You have to have market value, quote unquote, in terms of your attractiveness and your ability to attract your mate and whatever. You know, it's, it's your value. Your value is based on that. And that's a form of objectifying yourself. And I guess you could say that in that moment, that thunderbolt moment of just, whoa, like breaking out of a trance of like, this is, I guess what you could say is that I realized that it's not only my body. Like, the sense of just, it's just, this is just my body unilaterally went away. And I felt a relationship with what you could say, God, you could say that, which, you know, is sustaining this body beyond me. Like, just think about it. You know, right now your heart is beating, right? You're not doing that. You're not doing that. You know, and that's just one of the processes I could name that are going on simultaneously in your body right now, magically, harmoniously, intelligently. Okay. You're not doing that. It's not like what I'm saying is out there. It's just right in, right in our faces. We just have to dare to stop and see it. Wow, I'm not doing me. <laughs> I'm doing an aspect of me. I guess you could say I have enough agency to animate my body or speak and say what I want, kind of think the things I want to think. But the fact of the matter is that which makes that possible is most definitely beyond me. And... You know, whether you call it nature or source or God or spirit or, or even science with a capital S, <laughs> you're, 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 you, one has to honor that they're in a kind of – they're being sustained, okay? They're being held, sustained, nourished, and, and we can't take credit for that. That was a big – profound awakening that actually put me in a kind of high. I was almost like in a, in a high for a couple days until it went away. Um, and just insights flowing. I still have the journal from those days where I was just writing, writing, writing. I was seeing the patterns. I was seeing the, the, the power of, of, 
I guess you could say that was my first yogic awakening, seeing the patterns in reality and seeing the patterns in my own thinking. And I was, it was a brief emancipation from mental slavery. And then I got attached to it. I got attached to wanting to stay there and wanting to get others to see what I had gone through. And like, don't you guys see you know, that kind of annoying thing that some people do when they, when they, they think they get woke, you know, and they might actually have a, a, an awakening, a realization, something, but then they try to like sustain that awakening by getting everyone else to see it. I was kind of doing that, I guess you could say. And, um, I mean, to be fair, I wasn't like that bad, but, but, you know, I do remember sort of getting attached to it and wanting, it, it was almost like the more I want, held on to it, the more it slipped away. But it stuck with me, obviously, all these years. I've always remembered that as this key moment of like, whoa, I had, a, I had an awakening in that moment. And so that sort of developed more and more. And then I got, as I got to like 17, 18, I got this idea of cleansing in my mind, meaning like fasting, cleansing, you know, purifying the body via fasting. And once I had this idea in my head, of, oh, the body can be toxified, and then you need to detox it. Once that idea was implanted in me, I became almost like obsessed with like, you know, cleansing. And in hindsight, looking back now, I'd be like, dude, chill out. <laughs> like, come on. But it grabbed me. And what strikes me about that it was not that I was, in fact, kind of um, obsessive, <laughs> But that, wow, I really related to the idea of purifying myself. I related to the idea of the, the thought of, oh my gosh, I'm toxic and I, I can cleanse myself and therefore feel better, feel lighter. What is that better and lighter? What was that that I wanted? I wanted to feel connected. I wanted to feel, I remember being very conscious from the age of 14, 15, 16 of something slipping away. You know, and I, I imagine a lot of people feel this at certain stages, you know, growing up where that sweet innocence and playfulness and kind of that natural high of being a kid starts to slip through your fingers if, as you start to have to act more cool or just like edit out the more childish aspects of yourself, which is to say your, you know, your innocence or your gleefulness or your, your um, naivete. And we start to almost hate those aspects of ourselves out of us because then why? Because you don't want to look like a, like you're immature in front of whatever your peers and you know how it goes, right? But for me, that was a very profound ow. I remember being very aware that I was becoming numbed, right? I felt like I was losing the sparkle, like losing the, uh, the sense of magic and wonder it was sort of slipping away. And that really upset me. And I wanted to get it back. And so when this idea of cleansing came in, I think that's a lot of, I'm almost realizing this now as I'm recapturing it, that's a lot of what incentivized me to go like, I'm going to like cleanse. And I remember my friends being like, dude, what are you doing? Like, what's this cleanse? What's this fasting thing? You know, they were almost like annoyed with me, but uh, you know, I, I stuck to it. And, and, I, and I started to write more and I started to become more of that brooding poet, you know, leaving the crowd and going sitting under a tree just to not be doing what everyone else was doing. And, you know, I just, I really got a sense of myself by being not what everyone else was. Like I was a very much like a rebellious 
nature in that way, which I see now as more of like a reactive and adolescent consciousness trying to find himself. But, you know, it's key in my journey because it really did lead me to, after my first semester at Temple University as a theater major, um, which was one of my passions was acting, you know, music, acting, dancing, all that stuff I like love. But uh, in terms of the community there, I just felt like I, I felt like it's just it looked so dead end to me. All of it looked so dead end. And I just didn't relate to anybody really in like a deep way that I was craving. And that's a lot of what propelled me out to Sedona. I actually said, hey, Dad, can I go to India? I actually wanted to go to India really badly. And my parents were like, yeah, yeah, start with Sedona, <laughs> you know, which was probably a good a good uh, suggestion. Um, I probably, who knows how it would have gone. I probably would have been fine, but, but, um, I think it would have been a little bit too much culture shock. So coming to Sedona was uh, a good way to just change it up and, and move to the spiritual place and be here with my sister. And then Devin and I, my brother Devin and I moved out there together and, um, and I, and I captured some of that in the last thing. I don't want to be too long winded about it, but I just wanted to kind of fill in some blanks there in terms of the, my background and the context and, and what happened before I came into the, the, the yoga scene. Um, and I really got into yoga because of my sister. I just, I don't know that I would have actually just done it. I might have, uh, been drawn to it by some other way, but it was because, you know, my sister was starting this yoga studio and it just made sense to become a teacher. That was really what made me go and get my training. And I didn't, I don't think I knew beforehand how much of a yoga teacher I wanted to be in my soul, you know, like how much I feel that I was just, I'm just meant to teach, teach it. Um, like I'm, I have the code for it. But the whole point of what I'm teaching is we all have the code for it. That's that's the whole point of this, uh, not just this podcast, but any class I've ever taught is precisely to activate that code. But, you know, just like anyone else, you know, when you, especially when you first kind of get into the spiritual community and you don't know how to really step back from the narratives that come at you, you know, Whatever they may be, I'm thinking uh, one of the ones that just comes to my mind because it was very prevalent is The Power of Now, you know. Great book, great offering and all of that. But there's, there's, a, lot, uh, there's a lot missing in, in, in terms of the power of now uh, and how to, to access that. We can't just say it. We can't just talk about, you know, the ego as a problem, we have to get to the source of what it's all about. And that is the essence of the, the emancipation of mental slavery. Mental slavery is as deep as deep goes in the human experience. It's like the essence of the dysfunctional human experience. So the ego, when we name the ego, uh, or, or we talk about the past and the future, don't be in the past or the future, be in the now. All those, all those moves that we try to make if we don't understand the true depth of mental slavery are still attempts to get out of mental slavery based in mental slavery. And on and on we go. And when you start to you know, get the, 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 the history, the deep history of thought across the globe and the wisdom traditions, of what they were teaching was all about that. Like if we just jumped into Taoism for a moment, the way that is named is not the way. The Tao that is named is not the Tao. The Tao could be like another word for yoga. 
the, the, you know, which I could say in this moment, the, like the space of liberation, the space of freedom, the space of Zen, the space of true human nature. So I want to really, one of my passions here is to, is to take this idea of yoga, mindfulness, meditation, enlightenment, these, these ideas that seem so out of reach, like specialty interest that if you have the time and the luxury, you could, you could like, you know, meditate every day if that's your thing. No, I really, really want us to do away with that mindset, at least when you're joining me, because this is the most practical essential thing for all human beings. What is more practical than ending the suffering? And to not keep trying to do that with the same mindsets that generated the suffering to begin with. That's going to be the haunting refrain that you're going to hear again and again and again. Because if we don't call out that we are, (laughs) that we're doing it wrong, meaning it's not that the intention is bad. And this is what, this is very important for you to hear this because you may not get this already, but it doesn't mean you're bad. It doesn't mean, you, you know, like shame on you. It means it's really challenging to get it. But once you get it, it's so obvious and so simple that we keep trying to get better with the same thing that got us bad. Er, you know, we're, we're, we're still using the same mindset to heal. That is the mindset that wounds. You know, we're still trying to to get enlightened when a, and when enlightenment is precisely stopping trying to get to, right? We're so conditioned in our thinking. That's the mental slavery to, as I said in the last offering, you know, to, to objectify everything and in that sense and, and objectify ourselves. And that's really at the heart of what's going on. So it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're still objectifying in your mind and your consciousness if you can't break that deep, deep, deep habit, which you can't break it if you can't see it, then you will continue in what, you know, in the Eastern traditions uh, often referred to as samsara, which is what? Just basically being caught in a, in a loop of suffering, you know, and the harder you try to get better with the best of intentions, you, you in, in a way, you entrench yourself deeper. So my passion, my fervor, my conviction is based precisely on, I don't want to see that anymore, not for myself, not for my son, not for anybody, not for humanity. It's like at some point, enough is enough. And when you see that that's going on, there's nothing else to do but call that out. And that's what yoga of yoga is really about. No matter what we talk about, it's breaking the habit of objectification at the deepest levels of our consciousness practice. You don't, if you don't know that you're in a consciousness practice, if you don't know right now that you're interpreting at lightning speed, you're interpreting and you think things are just kind of coming at you and you think you're just experiencing life in this kind of transparent receiving of reality, you are gravely mistaken. You, the only way to start to break free is to realize how much our consciousness is, is distorting and while while making us feel like we're just we just have access to truth and reality as though it doesn't have any interpretation or any distortion or any bias or any implicit bias or any any of the the things that we love to point out out there you know but where it really gets badass where you really become a yogi is when you go okay and bring the attention back to your own consciousness 
not just some of the time. From now on, <laughs> that's the yoga commitment, you could say, that, I, that I'm inviting you to join me in. And so it's, it's, it's thrilling, it's exciting, it's scary, it's uncomfortable sometimes, but uncomf- the point is we are uncomfortable. We're, we're uncomfortable all the time. And then we're glazed over and used to it. And then all these dysfunctions happen because we're not really in our true nature. And we start to f- see them popping up here and here and here. And then we try to put out the fires in our relationships and our, you know, whatever it is. You know what I'm talking about. All the, all the things in your life that you're like, uh, yeah, I would like that to be better. I would like that to be better. What do we do all the time? We, try to, we treat the symptoms. It's just like our modern day medicine. If we've got a symptom, most of the prescription drugs are designed to just suppress the symptoms so you can get on with your miserable life. <laughs> I'm saying that a little tongue in cheek. I'm not saying your life is miserable, but, but you know, to make the point, like, it's, it, we, we, we're, not, we're not actually getting to the source of the issue. And we keep trying to put out these fires. And yes, yoga can be another, another objectified prescription. That, that is not actually yoga and meditation. Oh, what could be bad about meditation? You know, sitting down and meditating, being still and watching your breath. Yeah, that's great. But even that could be, again, addressing the symptoms and not really getting to the heart of it. And on and on and on, we can keep going. Once you realize this, everything equally comes into question. And what I'm wanting to instill in you is it's a kind of almost like a deeper technology of mind and minding and mindfulness that can call out the fake version of mindfulness, the the ungrounded, meaning it's desourced, cut off from the ground, which is source, truth, reality, version of mindfulness that again is like a prescription. It's another prescription trying to address an issue that it doesn't understand And it's enough is enough already, you know? Again, like I said last time, and I reiterate, it's not like you should have known this already. This is hard to get, and there's so little out there that's taking this extra step back. There's plenty of people going, you know, we're really good at naming the problems, right? And then using prescriptions. But very, very few I've heard thus far are step, taking that extra step back to see the foundations of our consciousness, which envelops not just our thinking, but our feeling, our experienced life, our visceral senses, our emotions, our body, our choices, our cravings and desires, our wants, all encompassed in a much deeper code than we had been able to see before. So this is so exciting because it actually, all that running around we're doing, all that frantic chasing, you know, and trying to get the right supplements and trying to get the right exercises and trying to get the right life coaching and the right this and the right that and living in the right place and getting the right possessions and, you know, getting away from the right, from the wrong toxins and, you know, you know, that the, the, the frantic ness that we're used to of trying to get better in that space. Take a deep breath with me. (sighs) Let it go. All of that. Imagine, can you imagine letting go of the stress of all of that? Why? Because now we're really getting to what was going on the whole time. It's going on right now. 
And there's going to be an impulse in you again and again that's going to say, okay, yeah, 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 great, but I got to get back to, you know, whatever, making money so that I can buy these supplements and I can da 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 whatever. whatever. Whatever solution your mind is convinced that it, it, that it wants and needs, even if it's spiritual and positive and healthy and all those wonderful things, if you really got honest with yourself, you're stressed you're stressed. You're, you're not grounded. You're not dropped into yourself. You're still misdiagnosing what it is that sh- that's wrong, what it is that you need, what it is that you want, because all of those needs, wants are informed by a condition that is prior to all of that. And in order to get to that deep, deep, deep condition, yes, even before the ego, you can call it the ego, but the ego is a symptom of this deep, deep, deep thing. That yoga, real yoga, the yoga of yoga is going to expose and help us become activisionists. So as opposed and in contrast to the activism that we're used to, and I'm I'm using activism in an all-encompassing sense, anything that you do to try to make your life better, is a form of activism, not just activism in you know, a kind of a cultural community sense, but just even on the personal level, any steps that you take that are incentivized by the, by the desire to get better, that is not taking the big step back and seeing your seeing and minding your minding is part of the problem. And so yoga of yoga intelligence is innate in you. It's already in you. I'm not implanting anything in you. In fact, I'm helping you get the implant out. (laughs) Uh, It's about learning how to see your seeing, mind your minding, and even feel your feeling. Stepping back, it's taking that grand step back into, again, as I quoted Patanjali in the last uh, entry, the seer rests in their true nature. What is that true nature? That true nature is is who you are. And that's what I'm saying. This isn't optional. This is not specialty interest. Well-being is not a specialty interest. Sanity is not a specialty interest. Happiness is not a specialty interest. Fulfillment is not a specialty interest. Being and freedom to be. Freedom is not a specialty interest. Liberation is not a specialty interest. Ending the mental slavery is not an option. I mean, yeah, I guess you could say it is, but once you see it, there's no choice. There's no, there's no, no one ever in their sanity would ever choose to stay in the insanity once they see it. And that's my job. I want you to see the insanity that has been normalized. And yes, translated into all of these, what should be wonderful healing modalities, yes, they too are, have become part of the insanity. They've become little escape mechanisms. So now we're doing meditation, it's reducing stress, it's making my mind calmer, I'm becoming more centered, that's all great, but it's not getting to the issue. They're, they're little moments, they're episodic relief in a greater picture of being still in the suffering and the insanity. We don't want band-aids, we don't want breaks from it. We want to end the suffering, end the slavery of the consciousness of the mind. That is yoga. That is sexy yoga. The deep, real, raw, 
powerful, innate intelligence that is in you and is the essence of being human. That is your human nature, all of us. Stop trying to get over the suffering on your environment, on other people. Stop pointing the finger. That's what yoga of yoga calls us to do. Stop pointing the fingers. Stop objectifying. Stop projecting. Stop gaslighting. And denormalize the what is essentially a, such a frantic pace of not just physical movement, but of mental movement. It's so frantic. And we, you know, to say stop thinking is malpractice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have to say it. To just say stop thinking is not helpful. It's hurtful. It doesn't help. It's start really thinking. Start true thoughts. Start taking up your true capacity to think in a superior way from the normalized, frantic, chop-chop thinking that we're used to. You're still fully intact. It's The incredible thing is that what I'm saying, it doesn't cost you anything but attention it, and and you know, a touch of humbleness because each one of us have to get kind of at some point and in certain ways and at different stages sort of go, oh yeah, it's so much bigger than me. <laughs> you know, you gotta, like, we gotta get humble and learn, learning, really learning, which means healing in this context is at its heart getting humble. And letting go of the power trips that we're all on. It's a deep power trip. You could be the sweetest person in the world, the most caring, loving, I want everyone to get along person in the world and still be laboring under this power trip, inherited power trip that is the essence of the underlying code, no matter what your culture, upbringing, surroundings, community are, that we all have our versions, different versions of it. And it's old. It, it goes as far back as we can recall. So it's time for us. And, and what's cool about the time we're in now with all of our amazing developments in technology and so many breakthroughs through history, we've reached a kind of, as, as I see it, sort of like we've reached capacity now. There's no more wiggle room now to, to um, we're either going to take each other out and take ourselves out or we're going to evolve. And when there's no more physical wiggle room, so to speak, where do we go? Which, when you can't make any more moves that isn't part of the same old dead tired medicine that doesn't work, where do you go? Where does the door, where does the, where's the trap door? Where's the hatch in this, in this that opens up the mind, the consciousness? That's that stepping back that I'm talking about because you're already where you need to be. And all of the goose chases, you can let them go. Wouldn't that be nice? Like, wouldn't you love that? Like, take me seriously for a second. If you could just let go of all those goose chases, yes, even the ones you think your first response is, nah, I can't give that up. Can I give that up? Oh my God, I can give that up too. It's basically like almost everything. And, and you start to go, whoa, no, actually. I, I've got another podcast in my Human Up podcast series. Uh, and I don't remember what number episode, but it's called Stop, Drop, and Roll. And it talks about this. But the stop is, is a powerful, powerful stop. The yoga of yoga calls us to stop. Stop what? Yeah, you can stop moving your physical body and go you know, into a lotus position and, then, and watch your breath, but you're still not stopping. You're still 
going on this much deeper level of your of the way you're perceiving. And the the real stop is the is it's really it's the ultimate freedom is the agency to opt out of the madness, opt out of the normalized madness that we're so used to. <sighs> That's where you find the breath. Because if you don't do that, you can fill your lungs with air again and again and again, you know, but you're not breathing. You're not really breathing. You know, power tripping on the breath is not breathing. It's not pranayama, which means breathing, science. <sighs> so as time has flown by, I want to just say one more thing about my journey in a kind of fast forward way, because I too went into the anti-mind mindset, you know, um, I wanted to do away with anything that even slightly r ringed of the, the patriarchy and anything mind or logic or anything like that. And just like so many other people, I, I really handicapped myself for some time by doing the, the, the age old move of mind bad, me do opposite. You know, that's the logic we'll see again and again when we, when we try to other the issue by being the opposite, we marry ourselves to it. And we actually really mess ourselves up when we do that. Um, and that's part of the same, the same uh, thing that yoga is supposed to liberate us from. Uh, you can think of countless versions like, okay, the patriarch, the patriarchy and patriarchal ways of history, let's other that by be it, being its opposite. Okay, the mind and the dysfunctions of mental thinking and the analytics and all of that, it's so cold and calculating, let's other it and just be blind feelers, <laughs> you know? No, you, that, that move of othering is the same thing you're trying to get over, the, the, the meaning being an opposite, going the opposite. I don't like this. Let me do the opposite. That's the same old thing I keep doing. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. <clears throat> but once you get sensitive to that and you start to learn how to see that, you realize, well, it's happening like all around. And it's being touted as like the cutting edge of, of, of spirituality and wisdom teachings even, you know, and it's like, oh, man. No, we've got to go deeper. We can't make any more. We can't do any more lateral moves. It's time to go up. It's time to, to transcend. And so in my journey, I really know what it's like to pull that move, that anti-mind move, and then be doomed to searching far and wide for the right place, the right teacher, the right plant medicine, the right this, the right that, the right way, you know, every possible way until you finally get humbled you get beat up enough i guess to finally go all right all right all right <laughs> and you bow to the mind you bow to not in this in, in the sense of of subservient in like the way we're used to thinking bow in terms of reverence and awe and humility of going okay because mind is not a mechanism mind is being mind the real mind is source the real mind is freedom happiness bliss 
So, so, and we all have access to it. It's closer to us than we are. We're running too damn fast to even like sense it, you know, physically and mentally. Uh, you know, we're going so fast. And so this yoga of yoga journey is a lot about, about slowing down. You'll hear that again and again in my classes. Slow down. Why? Because at least then we're arresting the automatic movements, not just of the body, but also of the mind to be able to experience what we were missing by being in such a hurry all the time. We're always in such a hurry, you know? So this, this is really um, allowing us to, oh gosh, man, it feels so good when you start to realize that basically 100% of the stress is optional. Once you see your seeing, mind your minding, and, and, and then keep that practice going henceforth. So that's my invitation to you. Um, be excited. Be thrilled. You're going to get your mind back, your body back, your being back, your life back. And it almost is a misnomer to say back because in a way we have not been in true freedom before. And it's time. It's time. And our other option is not an option, which is to continue to, to get fried and worn down and burnt out trying to get better in the same old ways. Th those days are over. Rejoice. It's done. Let's get, let's get truly awakened now to our true, true nature and most immediate medicine is right within us. And I can't tell you how much of an honor it is to be able to be the role that I can be in your life coming to that freedom. A S A F and P. All right. So please keep coming back. There's going to be a lot more um, again and again. Check out my yoga classes. Check out my other podcasts. Um, it's all at humanup.tv and uh, unambeing.com. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's it, guys. Signing off. Thanks for listening.